BSD Talk number 143. It's Monday, March 10, 2008. I just have an interview for you today, so here it is. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with Deborah Norling. Welcome to the show. Hi there. So there's a, a couple topics that I wanted to speak to you about today. Uh, one was because you had written me a nice email about some BSD accessibility issues. But also in that email, you had mentioned some of the interesting things you had been doing. And so I thought that rather than just reading your email to the listeners, it might be nice to talk with you and get some of that information. So I thought maybe you could do a little overview of what you had written to me. What I wrote down was I tried to summarize everything I had discovered about BSD accessibility. And I should say that I am a hobbyist and I'm blind. I cannot see my computer screen. And I access the computer in a variety of ways, and I've experimented with those different ways uh, using Linux first and then the BSDs. And so I tried basically just to summarize everything I, I knew about the subject from a hobbyist point of view. And also, you know, aside from the accessibility issues, you had also mentioned some interesting hardware that you've been working on. Oh, well, I guess I should say what got me started was my husband's collection. And my husband is a collector of old Digital Equipment Corporation computers. So we have a lot of deck computers in our garage. We have various PDP-11 vintages. We don't have an 1170 because they're just too darn big. But we have an 1153 that we've been fooling around with putting different MSCP controllers and hard drives on lately. And we have um, he has an old 1104, and I have my own 1183. And we have many more. Uh, and we also have a lot of vaccine or vaxes. I don't know. I think the Swedish guys tend to say vaccine and the Americans tend to say vaxes. But we have lots of them, different vintages. And I was a little bored with VMS. Actually, with VMS, my problem is all those brackets. I never put the darn brackets in the right place. So because I didn't want to um, try to figure out how to put brackets in my VMS command lines in the right places, I decided I should start installing uh, NetBSD on some of the vaxes. And, you know, I loved the Vaxxers because I didn't have to do any uh, shenanigans with the console. All I did was plug in a serial cable and use my uh, talking computer with a Braille display as a terminal. And it was so easy for me to install NetBSD and fool around. I, I got really involved building things from source on this pokey little um, microvax. And I was, you know, I was trying to build uh, the drivers for my Braille terminal and everything with PKG SRC. And it was so fun. And that was my introduction to the BSDs. And I assume that the command line interface meshes well with a Braille terminal. Absolutely. It's funny because the the current popular set of drivers for Braille, Braille TTY, uh, works okay with curses, and it actually works better than speech. But the command line is still ideal because, well, you have less to read. You're doing less screen scraping, really. You're not searching around for what is highlighted or what has the cursor or what's in reverse video. Are these unusual architectures easier for installation? Because I imagine that certain architectures like the i386, the BIOS may not be as accessible. I know that on some other architectures, 
everything can really come out of the serial terminal. That's correct. But I do have an important point to make if there are people listening, and that is that though most 386, uh, I-386 architecture computers don't let you access your BIOS settings through the serial port, the Compact Pro Alliance do. And I haven't seen a Compact Pro Alliance that doesn't. I'm sure they're out there, but if you look at documentation on the web through HP, you'll see that, that most of them, even some of the older ones you'll buy at surplus stores, are fully accessible through the serial port. A lot of blind people don't know that. I have put up with many PCs. I, I go to flea markets and surplus stores, and I buy a lot of old PCs. So I'm, I'm fully aware that many of my PCs are not very accessible, and it's part of the hobbyist challenge is, is can I install an operating system on this thing without getting someone to read the screen? And I often, sometimes I have to give up. I mean, my husband has been turning off plug-and-play and so many biases he can do in his sleep, and he's like, oh, no, not again. You know, why don't you just use the VAX? Why are you doing this on a PC? But, yeah, um, it is an, it's an ongoing issue not having an accessible BIOS. And what drew you to the BSDs specifically? Well, I was really enjoying using NetBSD, and I ran across the wonderful manuals in OpenBSD, and, oh, my gosh, I just want to thank those guys. What wonderful documentation. You know, I had been reading these GNUish man pages for a long time and info pages, and I don't know if it's my my reading style or what, but I was really beginning to think that I was really, I was seriously Unix impaired, and there were many very basic things I didn't know how to do. I really didn't understand the find command, for example. And I remember struggling through these man pages, and I accidentally found the man page in OpenBSD for find, and, and I was so impressed with how clear and precise it was. And I thought, you know, I'm not Unix impaired. It's just this bad documentation. I may be trying to RTFM, but they're not trying to write the manual. It could call, be called WFTM2 sometimes. How did you end up moving over to NetBSD? Well, NetBSD was natural because at the time that I was first experimenting with it, there wasn't an OpenBSD port to the VAX. That's changed. And I'm unusual in that I had access to all these VAXs and someone who loves hardware. My husband loves restoring old hardware. But once he restores it and once he gets all the little, little medallions on there and everything, he's kind of lose interest in it. So, you know, I had all this hardware that had no software installed on it, so I had lots of computers to play with. And that's what got me most interested, I think, in NetBSD is its portability. And I actually still don't have FreeBSD properly installed, so I, I suppose most of my experiences with NetBSD and OpenBSD. And you mentioned Braille terminals, but... I guess there's also a fairly large population that doesn't read Braille and rely on screen readers. Have you used that kind of software also? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I should say a few words about this uh, to give people some background. Braille terminal is often the word that people use to describe what we call mostly in the United States a Braille display. Um, in the old days, they were, and I'll get to speech in a minute, but I want to give you this background first. Uh, in, in the old days, they were actually terminals. You know, there, there really was a Braille VT100. It was, it was popular in Germany. It wasn't really uh, used here very much in the U.S. But nowadays, they don't build any uh, terminal emulation really into the Braille displays. They're, they're strictly a serial port, a Bluetooth, or USB gizmo that replaces the display. However, the word Braille terminal has kind of stuck. You know, it's like calling a Kleenex or a Frigidaire. 
So they're not really terminals anymore, but that's what everybody says. Okay, so that takes care of the, the Braille display business. Now, in Europe, there is a lot of money to buy Braille displays for blind people, so you'll find that a lot of blind Europeans, and also because of the schooling, there's they're far stricter over there about teaching Braille to blind people. And, and even low vision people are required to learn Braille because so many eye conditions increase, you know, so someone starts out seeing a little and then they don't see at all. So they do make them learn Braille in Europe and there is government money to buy them Braille displays. So you find Brailles are very popular over there. Now, Braille displays here are a totally different thing. They're very expensive. Um, I used to work for a company that made Braille display hardware, which is why I'm so lucky. I was able to buy Braille displays on eBay and know if they worked or not. I have a $10,000 Braille display that I bought on eBay for $65. But most people aren't that lucky. They have to somewhere come up with $10,000 to buy themselves a Braille display. And so you find here in America that they're not as popular. Now, what people use in America are speech synthesizers if they are unable to see the screen. And if they can see the screen a little bit, they tend to use screen enlargement. Uh, A speech synthesizer used to be a box. It used to be hardware. It had a parallel port or a serial port, and it had a speech chip in it. It had a ton of firmware for doing the text-to-speech. And, you know, for your vintage guys, it was things like the Echo PC and the Votrex personal speech system back in the 1980s. I love collecting old synthesizers, too. I'm such a computer pack rat. By the middle 1990s, the processors on computers were fast enough that you began to see software speech. And software speech has pretty much taken over hardware synthesizers. So instead of a box with firmware, a software synthesizer is maybe like a wind modem. You know, it's a PCMCIA card, or it may not even be any hardware. It's strictly that the computer generates text-to-speech using the sound card. And there is a lot of software speech out there. Now they're classified either as concatenative or formant speech synthesizers. Right now, there's a very nice formant synthesizer called eSpeak, E-S-P-E-A-K, and it's been ported to Windows and Linux, and it's open source, and it's uh, written in C++, eSpeak, that's SourceForge, like all the other SourceForge projects, and it's got a very small footprint, and of course, the big open source concatenative synthesizer is Festival, which many people know from CMU. And one of the problems I've always had with the software speech synthesizers is that it, you know, I don't know whether it's just sort of a tradition or, or what, but they always seem to use the number pad as a way of controlling the speech synthesizer. And when I'm on a laptop, I'm utterly useless because I oh, don't have a number I pad. I didn't even get to screen readers yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the synthesizer is basically just what talks. Then on top of the synthesizer, you have to have a screen access program, which which converts selective portions of the screen into speech in an intelligent way so that the blind user can, for example, say, hit this key to read the previous line or or hit this key to, to tell it to read single digits. And absolutely, a lot of the screen readers do use the numeric keypad, but they usually have key bindings for your laptop, and if it's an open source program, the key binding is usually just some little file in slash Etsy, and you get to go poke around and find it and change it. And so your preferred method is Braille? Actually, my preferred method is speech, and I'll tell you why. Even though I did tech support for a manufacturer of a Braille display, speech is quicker. 
So if I'm writing code, I'll want to use Braille to go back and look at it the same way you would look at a printout. But if I'm reading a bunch of email or I'm troubleshooting a problem on the computer, I'm typically using speech. I can get through information a lot faster. And when I am accessing a BSD system, because there is no screen reader for BSD, I'm usually using um, my Windows computer as a terminal and running a screen reading program, sometimes with speech and Braille both, and I'm often not even looking at the Braille. And do you find that on the BSDs that as long as it's a text-based or cursus-based application, it works equally well? Uh, Usually for open source, that is true. Sometimes with cursive applications where you've got something that's highlighted and something that's in reverse video and then you have the cursor somewhere else, you have to kind of do some intelligent analysis to figure out, all right, which is the item that really has focus here? Or, um, you know, you have to tell the screen reader to either show attributes in Braille or, or, or speak them, and that can be very tedious. You really want them to just put the cursor where they want you to look. A good example of that is Lynx, the text browser, like Lynx the cat. And you have to say Lynx dash so underscore cursor, or your current link is highlighted, and that's really tedious to try to figure out where that is. And are there aspects of the BSDs that are still needing a lot of work when it comes to accessibility, at least from maybe the Braille or the speech standpoint? I think so, but you're going to be surprised when I tell you what I think needs the most work, and that is documentation. I think that when when they do, I don't know if they do anything like use case analysis on documentation, but they always assume that when you are doing a headless install, that you are some dude with a lot of servers and you've installed the operating system about a million times. And we blind people often do headless installs and it may be our first install of this operating system. So we don't really know how long we have to wait before we can type a command to switch it over to the serial port set. TTY COM0 is what OpenBSD likes. Cons dev COM0 is what NetBSD likes. And FreeBSD is supposed to like boot-h, but you know I've never gotten that to work. And I guess if I were to change one thing about all the BSDs, I would document a headless install from the perspective of someone who is a beginner and who is possibly visually impaired and therefore having access to this machine with a terminal that may use screen enlargement or braille or speech. And I should say that for every blind person who cannot see the screen, there are 10 low vision people who can sort of see the screen. So it's not just a, a small audience. It's, it's a fairly large audience of, of, if you think about everyone who has a visual impairment. And once you're you know, on one of these computers and you're able to interact with it, what are the kinds of things that you're doing with your BSD machines? Well, I'm a hobbyist, so I putter around. I, I build things from source. I have been really working on trying to get Braille TTY to compile on the VAX. It compiles fine on, on the PC, both under NetBSD and OpenBSD. I try to improve my ability to program. I like programming. I'm not very good, so it's, it's kind of fun to write little programs uh, and I also administer a couple of servers. I administer a server for my husband's business, and I um, administer a home server. I have, you know, all the usual junk you put on your home server, music and photos and movies and, you know, household clutter, you know, because it's your stuff. Isn't that what iOmega said? Because it's your stuff. So, so I'm you- a household system administrator. 
You probably wouldn't want to hire me today as your system administrator, but I would say five years from now, I will be a darn good system administrator. Among all the operating systems that you do use, I'm sure that you know you, you did mention Windows and VSDs and some of the other ones. What was it about the Unix philosophy that you, that you liked or that drew you to it? What you said in one of your early podcasts is the ability to combine commands to get what you want. Even in good old DOS, if I wanted to figure out which of my files were directories, I had to listen to the synthesizer reading me quite a bit of stuff. In Linux, it's just using grep and cut with ls-l to have it just read me my subdirectory. So it's the ability to filter things and, I don't know, I mean, there's there's tools like awk that I find just so simple and easy and, you know, you've got a little bit of text you want to change and it's it's just so trivial to do some things in, in Unix that are such darn pain in Windows. And I, I'm a, professionally, I'm a Windows computer tech. That's That's what I get paid to do, so... I definitely prefer prefer the command line when it's my own time. You did mention stumbling upon some OpenBSD man pages, but I was curious about where you've gone for other sources of information, both about Unix and in general, and also maybe about accessibility in Unix. Well, I should say I started with Linux, and the main reason I did that was because Linux is more accessible at the moment. And I'm sure the reason Linux is more accessible is because it's got more people working on it. There is a screen reader for Linux called SpeakUp that is a set of kernel patches. And I got active on the SpeakUp list and got turned on to the LDP and uh, began using SpeakUp quite a bit three years ago and, you know, tested new versions. And so that's how I get started. But I guess I would say that I find the BSDs a lot cleaner and I find the documentation easier to understand. And because I had all this fax hardware anyway, I'm, I'm very comfortable with serial ports and that sort of thing because I've worked with hardware synthesizers since the 80s. So, so I wasn't daunted by that. I mean, a lot of people get hung up trying to figure out what kind of cable they need. And, and I had a pile of surplus Lapland cables and they worked just fine. So, you know, the serial port part wasn't difficult for me. And if you were to recommend to somebody who did want to use a, a Braille display or some speech synthesis, is sort of a, a, a setup that you find has worked well or some hardware or software combinations if somebody wanted to get started? Well, this isn't a direct answer to your question, but if someone wants to get started and they aren't able to see a screen without a, some sort of screen access, whether it's enlargement, speech, or Braille, and I want to make sure we don't forget enlargement, too. People do need to use screen readers that enlarge magnified portions of the screen in order for them to work effectively. And so if you're going to use that that kind of screen access, there are three ways that I would say that you should get started. And one of the ways is if you don't want to mess with hardware, go, get yourself one of the free shell accounts. You, you had a wonderful list on one of your early podcasts. I'm an ARPA member of the SDF. I love the SDF. They already have a blind and visually impaired community. So go to something like freeshell.org and get a free shell account if you don't want to mess with hardware. That would be my first idea for getting started. And you should have an operating system you like already and some sort of VT100 emulator you like already and use the screen reader you know. I mean, so you're not trying to learn 10 things at once. You're not trying to learn the screen reader and, and the Unix and, you know, everything. You know, minimize what you have to, minimize your learning curve, especially if you're a student and 
you're taking, I, I get all, I see all these posts on the mailing list from blind students and they're just so overwhelmed because they're trying to learn it all at once and that's not the way to do it. The other learning path that I might explore if, if you're adventurous is to use SimH and I haven't t- even talked about that at all yet because I, I use SimH all the time when I don't have a real VAX to play with or when the real VAX is too slow. And the, the third approach I would take is if you are comfortable with, with you have a, a, a computer that has a serial port and serial ports are disappearing or you have something where you've got terminal emulation running on that computer, you know, maybe you have a USB serial port that you know works, then uh, go ahead and try installing one of the BSDs headless. I, I particularly think OpenBSD is easiest to install and, and hardest to deal with adding software onto later. Uh, it's, I mean, OpenBSD, you boot it and you type set TTY con zero and away you go. And with NetBSD, of course, you can get some floppies that already have serial port boot blocks. And yeah, so just try to minimize the amount of stuff you learn at once or you'll get overwhelmed and maybe give up and that's silly. Great. Well, are there any other topics that you wanted to talk about today? Well, I would like to say a few words about SimH. You can go to http simh.trailings-edge.com and it is a console-based application that is totally accessible that simulates old computers. And so there's an Altair in there, and there's a whole bunch of digital digital equipment, PDP computers, including PDP-11, and there's a VAX-3900 and a VAX-780. But it runs under BSD, NetBSD, and OpenBSD, and FreeBSD, and Linux, and Windows, and it works great with screen readers. It's all console-based. And I use it to install NetBSD on the simulated VAX, and what's really nice about that, it's a lot like using VMware, except VMware is not accessible, and this is, and because you can save the state of anything at any time, and um, you know, you sort of have a little playpen you're working in, and so you can back it up. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, You can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 143.